Good morning. So I wrote another poem. It's called The Synopsis of Esther. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming upon my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? This is the essence of the queen. Her heart for her people. Not only could she sympathize, but she can empathize. And for her people and her mission, it was emphasized. She was with them, and they were with her. She was in position, and they were in a position. They were in plight, and she was ready to fight strategically. She was absolutely beautiful, but don't let her beauty fool you. She had immense wisdom, so let us sit here to hear Felzetta tell her story so we can see and appreciate Esther's glory, a savior to her people, a reason to celebrate for generations to come. She was a foreshadowing of the Christ coming to save his people. So we thank God for the story of Esther as a prequel to the sequel. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, William. Give it up for the poet. <laughs> will, you, will you just, as my wife takes the podium, will you stretch your hand to her, please? And um, I just, baby, I just want you to just relax and just just give what it is that God has told you to give to the people here today, and I'm really thankful for this opportunity. Father, I want to bless you for this moment in time where your woman servant is here to deliver what you have given her. I know that it's rich, and it's a word that can be life-changing. So I pray that you open the ears of the hearer, that you anoint her lips, Lord, to speak as your oracle today a word that's instant, in season, and out of season for your glory, I pray in Christ's name. And everyone that agree with that prayer said? Amen. All right, welcome. Thank you. Well, good afternoon. I have to do some adjustments here. I know, you say women always change in something. Kind of bear with me here. How's everybody this afternoon? Good. One thing I sense in the spirit, and just know, we have a lot of prayer warriors praying and intercessors praying all week, and we've been fasting and praying because I don't take this lightly, just delivering God's word, whether I'm talking in a coffee shop or talking in the office or just having a phone conversation. Anytime I get the opportunity to just share God's word, I take that very seriously because we're all accountable, which I think we all should take that very seriously because... God entrusts us as his people to represent him well. So I pray that um, God's will be done. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Pelzetta McCormick. Um, I'm pastor of the women's ministry. If my husband and I do not or have not had the opportunity to meet you, yes, I'm married to the pastor, Lucretia's Dante's mother, Tia Luttrell's mother, and Khalil's grandmother. <laughs> And um, if we have not had an opportunity to meet you after services, we would love to do that. Sometimes we don't get to meet everybody and we're at a disadvantage. But please stop and say hi. We would appreciate that. I am going to summarize Esther for you. I kept praying about it and I thought, so let me tell you right off the bat, I'm not Ryan. I'm not Greg. I'm not Mike. I'm Palzetta. <laughs> 
So I'm just wired a little bit different. But you know, that's all right, because God wires us all different for a reason. And women, I'm a woman, so that's good. <laughs> Lord, help us if the pastor keep his comments to a minimum. That would be all right, too. So I'm pleased to share Esther with you today. So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you and I praise you and I magnify your holy name. I give you all honor, glory, and praise. Father, I decrease so that you, Lord God, I remove self so that your will can be completely done. I ask you, Father, to, we've already prayed for your anointing. We've already invited the Holy Spirit here. Father, we know that you are here. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Father, I pray that every weapon that is formed against us be dismantled now in the name of Jesus. Father, we take authority now in, Je Hallelujah. in Jesus' name. Father, I say that everyone that is here today will not leave the same way that they came because your word will not return void. I pray, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, by the authority that you have given me and the elders and the deacons and the individuals here, Lord, that stand on your word, you say, Lord God, that we have power because we're your children. So we stand on your word now, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, and we accept and believe everything that you have entrusted in our care. We stand on your word and say, we have what you say we have in Jesus' name. And I believe and receive it now. Father, I thank you that we, hallelujah, employ angels now to work on our behalf. To do war in the spirit of realm. To change generational curses that has been mounted up against us. We dismantle that now and send them out for war in Jesus' name. We're covered by the blood of Jesus and there is nothing that is formed against us that can penetrate that in Jesus' name. Those that believe that, say amen. amen. Those that stand on that, say amen. amen. So now let me tell you right off the bat, I get a little excited when I talk about God. Why? Because he's my daddy, he's my friend, and he's got a track record with me. I can tell you I've been serving him a long time, and we've been through some battles together. We've been in some trenches together. And I can tell you each and every time I've not liked those battles, but he has brought me out. So I'm not telling you what I've heard from somebody. I'm telling you what I know. So if you don't take nothing else today, take the word of God and stand on that. All right? So. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Esther, because I said I'm going to summarize. Now, there's going to be some bullet points here you're going to want to remember. Now, I'm going to tell the story a little bit different than Ryan, Mike, and Greg. There, everybody's got their style. But I'm going to summarize Esther for you. I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. And then at the end, I'm going to come back and tell you how this applies to us today and how we can use Esther's tactics for us. That makes sense? So make sure you got some paper and pen because once God tells us something or once we get something or once we hear something, it's not obligated or no one's obligated to tell you a second time. So if you don't get it the first time, like my kids say, too bad, that's on you. All right? So let me tell you a little, let me give you a little background on Esther. She was beautiful, she was brave, and she was obedient. So in other words, Esther was fine. 
She was fine. Who don't like a fine woman? Well, who don't like a fine man? But we're talking about Esther right now. All right. She was beautiful. She was brave. And she was obedient. She was respectful and wise. Now, that's a combination in itself, correct? Well, the men not saying hello, don't you like a beautiful, brave, obedient, respectful, and wise woman? Oh, well, <laughs> okay. Well, somebody in the house. She was chose by God to help save his people. Esther was a Jew. Now, keep these things in mind. Her parents died while she was young. She was raised by her cousin, Mordecai. He treated her as if she was his own daughter. He loved her. She was held in custody in the king's harem. Some of her, one of her favorite words was spoken by Esther. Now put this up in a pen. If I perish, I perish. And we're going to look at Esther 4 and 16 later. So those are just a little background snippets about Esther. So now remember, she was fine, she was a Jew, she was brave, she was obedient, she was respectful, she was wise, she was in custody in a harem. harem. Mordecai raised her as his own daughter because her parents died. That's a pretty good background, right? I said she was fine. I said that a couple times, right? Okay. So let's begin the story at a feast, at a royal feast. Now, I pronounced the king's name. I could say King A, but I'm going to say, my husband says say King A because somebody says that. But King Azarhas, Azarhas, pronounce that, hon, Azarias. The royal, he gave a banquet, and the banquet was for all the royal officials. In other words, everybody who was a royal official for him, he gave a banquet, and he hosted this banquet because he was the king, and he had everybody who was everybody there. Now, this wasn't just a feast. He had the best of everything. I mean, he had the baddest curtains. I'm talking to you like we talk today. He had the baddest curtains, the best foods, I mean, the best goblets, everything. So if you haven't read Esther, you need to go back and dive in Esther's chapter. This king was given the feast. He told his staff, Give the men whatever they desire. And so they were drinking. They were pretty much, as you would say today, as the kids would say, they were partying. The king just had a feast going on. He was giving presents to the people in the land of Susa. He was going on. Now, while he was giving this feast for his officials, the governors and everyone, he also, his wife, Queen Vastai, was giving a feast for the women in the harem. So the king decides... As, you know, he's probably drinking, you know, it's a party going on. They had the best wine. So he's drinking and stuff. So he tells his eunuch to go get the queen because he wants the queen to come and dance for the official. Well, what do you think happened? Now, he's the king. Nobody denies the king. The king is a man. You don't tell the king no. Well, what happens? The eunuch goes and requests the queen to come see the king. And the king, excuse me, the queen, the eunuch goes and tells the queen that the king requests her presence. And what happens? The queen says no. So could you imagine the eunuch having to go back and tell the king, uh, excuse me, she said no. I would imagine he probably was scared that he probably would maybe get killed. 
I don't know what they do to the eunuchs when they don't deliver what the king says. But I don't think I would necessarily want to have to go back and say, go back without the queen and have to say the, the king, uh, the queen said, no, she's not coming. But the eunuch went back and told the king, she denied your request. She's not coming. Now, keep in mind, the king had his officials there. So the king was outraged that the queen denied his request. So you know how you got people talking to you all the time? Now, the king had to be embarrassed. He's the king. She's not coming. The queen denied his request. He's got his people around. He's probably embarrassed. He's outraged. He was angry. He's probably, I mean, he's probably like, what, what, what do you mean she's not coming? I summons her. Uh, how, uh, she, she can't tell me no. I mean, well, some of you husbands, your wives probably told you no. You probably said, no, she didn't. But, <laughs> but no, she, no, she didn't tell me no. You know, just imagine how you felt on a little scale. So imagine the king now. She told me no. No, she didn't tell me no. But the point of the matter is she did. So here's his officials saying, she didn't just tell you no. She told all of us no. So now you know that's adding fire to the fume a fume in the fire, however you want to say it. So they're just really adding, adding more pressure onto the king. So now the king's got to do something. The king, so they give the king a suggestion. They're saying, hey, you know, this ain't going to look too good. This ain't going to look too good for you, king. And so the king, at that point, they suggest to him, you need to make a decree, man. You got to do something about this. As Patrick say, man, you got to do something about this. This ain't, this ain't going to look too good. So then what they suggest is that they make a decree in the land to tell so that all the men be the masters of their own homes because, you know, if this get out, all the women's going to go crazy. That means no women in the land going to listen to anybody. So, you know, they ain't going to listen to no man. So you got, you got to put a decree out that every man is the master of their own home. And you said, where's all these scriptures? Trust me, we're going to get to some scriptures. But when you read Esther, they make this decree that the king sends out that every man is the master of their own home. But not just that. They say, Queen Vasta can no longer come before you again, king. So, and they, they take her throne away. I mean, they take her crown away. She's no longer the queen. So not, not only can she not be the queen, she can no longer come before the king again. And they put a decree out that every man be the master of his own home. Well, that's some kind of punishment for her disobeying. And the other women's got to suffer now because she, diso she disobeyed. So now I would imagine the king figured out, well, doggone, I don't have a queen now. I let them talk me into that. That's what I would think. I think he sobered up and said, well, doggone, the queen is gone. I don't have a queen. It didn't say that in the Bible. That's what I said. He probably realized there's no queen. I need a queen. If you read further on, they decide that they're going to bring some virgins into the kingdom. So they go and they get some beautiful young virgins. Mordecai takes Esther. Now remember, Mordecai raised Esther. Now Esther is 10 chapters, so I'm summarizing this, but we're going to go back and hit some scriptures for you. They brought 
They brought some young virgins to the palace. Mordecai takes Esther to the king. Now remember, Mordecai raised Esther as his own from her being young. So when he takes her to the king, it is not like you can just come and go as you want to. She's actually in custody in the harem. So it's like being in prison. I mean, she might be getting the best food, the best this, but she's actually in custody. Esther finds grace and favor in the sight of the king because the king's eunuch who was in charge of the women, she found favor with him. So he gave her advice in how to make the, how to uh, find favor with the king. So are you following me so far with this story? Does it make sense? Esther had to go through some things to get to the end. So I have to tell you how Esther had to endure how she ended up being the queen. Does that make sense? Things women got to go through. Just got to tell you. I'm not saying the men don't go through something, but Esther had to go through something. Okay? So then Esther finds grace and favor in the sight of the king. Now Mordecai, even though he took her into custody, oh, he gave her to the king so that she could be in his harem. He thought she found favor with the king. He loved Esther. He liked Esther. She was fine. She had beautiful character. He liked everything about her. Mordecai didn't just leave her. Every day he would go to the gates and he would check on her. He would kind of go listen and see how Esther was doing. Because remember, he was one of the officials. He could go in there and kind of see what's happening. So he would go and check on Esther. And one day as he was checking on Esther, he overheard two eunuchs that was plotting against the king. So then he goes back and tells Esther, hey, somebody, somebody's trying to do the king some harm. And so... He goes and tells Esther to tell the king. So Esther goes and tells the king in the name of Mordecai. The king investigates it. And then when the king investigates it, the king has those two people, those two units, killed on the gallows. Now, the gallows is where they hung somebody. So he had them hanged in the name of Mordecai, of course, because she told him it, Mordecai told her. So keep that in mind because that comes up later on in the story. This is ten, cha ten chapters. Work with me here. Okay. So, the king makes Esther queen. Now, all of this is going on. There's some history here. He, she's finding favor. She tells what Mordecai tells her. The two eunuchs get uh, the two eunuchs are hung, and meanwhile, she still has favor with the king. He loves her. He likes her. He, she's rising above all the versions. And he makes her queen. After he makes her queen, he gives her a huge feast. A feast. I mean, I would assume it's the best of everything. And it's a feast for Esther. Now let's talk about Haman. Now Haman's an interesting character. Now everybody might have a Haman in their life. I don't know. Haman hated Mordecai. Have you ever had anybody hate you? Hate is a strong thing. Have anybody dislike you? Well, you may not know, but we might. But anyway, Haman was who the king appointed above all the officials. So the king appointed him above all the officials. And what he did when the king appointed him above all the officials, everybody had to bow down to Haman. I mean, when he came in the room, you bowed because the king made him the man. 
But who did not bow? Mordecai. So the servants was like, Mordecai, what's up? Why are you disobeying the king? Now remember, you don't disobey the king. What happened to the queen when the first queen when she disobeyed king? She was not a queen anymore. She couldn't even come to the court. And they he put a new queen in. So you don't disobey the king. So Mordecai does not bow down to Haman. So the servants are like, why are you disobeying the king? Mordecai said, because I'm a Jew. So the servants go and tell Haman. So when they tell Haman about it, Haman's mad. You know, he's angry. He's upset. But see, just like some sneaky people, passive aggressive, they don't deal with Mordecai directly. He didn't deal with Mordecai directly. You know, he's seething inside. But what he does is he's devising a plan in his mind of how he was going to get Mordecai back. So what he does is he makes a plot. So he goes and talks to the, you know, he lets it go a little bit. And then he goes and tells the king. And I'll read that scripture for you. He tells the king. find it for you. Esther 3 and 8. No, I take that back. I'm sorry. Let me find it for you. Look at Esther 3. It is Esther 3 and 8. I'm sorry. It's Esther chapter 3, verse 8. He says, Then Haman said to the king, Azarus, there is a certain, there is a certain people scattered abroad and disperse among the people in all the provenance of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws, so that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. So he's basically telling the kings, they don't listen to you. They're not doing what they say. They have their own laws. And then verse 9, he says, If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they may put it into the king's treasury. So in other words, he's bribing the king. I say he's bribing the king because he's going to pay some money for them to whoever can uh, take care of these people. But he's also telling the king, they're not listening to you. So what he's doing is setting the Jews up. And he's plotting to get Mordecai and his people. So the king basically says, Haman, do what you will. Go ahead. And he seals it with his, his ring. Because once you seal something with the king's ring, it is, it is so. So he seals it with the ring, and so then uh, Haman makes a decree. So what this does is now they can go out and destroy all the Jews. Does that make sense? So they can go out and destroy all the Jews. My husband's looking at me. Does that make sense? <laughs> so, that so he goes out and he destroys all the Jews. Well, he goes and makes this decree to destroy all the Jews. And so... Mordecai hears about this, and when he hears about this, he is outraged. I mean, he is totally outraged about this. He goes to the entrance of the king's gate. He's clothing sackcloth. 
Esther is trying to find out what's going on. So she sends clothes out for him. And when she sends clothes out for him, he won't, he won't change into the clothes that she sends. She sends a eunuch out for to, to find out from Mordecai what's going on. So this eunuch she sends out was assigned to her by the king to, to watch over her. So she sends him. He tells her everything. He tells her about Haman's um, decree. He tells her about the payment. And he tells Esther, you must go to the king and beg for your people. Well, Esther's response is, hey, I haven't been to the king's court in 30 days. And then she says, everyone knows that if any man or woman goes inside the king's inner court without being called, there is but one law, death. Mordecai responds. He responds back and says, and you read this, Esther 4, 12, 13, and 14. So if you have four, Esther 4. Would you like me to read it for you? Yes, that'd be great. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told, told them to reply to Esther. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent in this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And, he know, and who knows whether you will whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So in other words, what are you going to do, Esther? And so Esther responds to Mordecai, and she says this. She tells him. Then Esther, she replies to Mordecai, and she says, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa. And hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, nights or night or day. And I and my young woman will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, through, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So in other words, everybody needs to fast on my behalf for three days, night and day. Do not eat, do not drink, and then I will go. So Esther does this, and when she goes and she does this, on the third day, Esther puts on her, ro her royal robe, and she stood, she stood in the inner court of the king's palace. When she did that, the king put out his scepter, and she touched it, and he said to her, now, that was grace of God because she wasn't put to death because, remember, no one can just go into the king's court. So the king said, what is it, Queen Esther? And she invited him to a feast. Not just him, but she invited him and Haman. And they came. So she gave this feast. That was the first one. Then after they had that feast, he asked her what was her request. She then invited him to a second feast. When she invited him to the second feast, he granted that and said, okay. Now, prior to that night, now I'm fast-forwarding, because prior to that night, when she, he accepted the second feast, the king couldn't sleep. He was troubled, and he couldn't sleep. And what he couldn't sleep was, he was trying to remember, and he, he asked the eunuchs to bring his scribes to him of good deeds or memories. So they read, and he asked about Mordecai, and they read to him 
about the deed that Mordecai told him and warned him about the eunuchs who tried to kill him. Meanwhile, he said, what did I do to reward him? And they said, you did nothing. And so had he, when he did nothing, he wanted to do something for Mordecai. So remember, Mordecai was outside that gate in sad cloth ashes. Then he went and he fasted. Prior to this, though, I'm going to back up a little bit because after the first feast, there was a section in there after the first feast where Haman went home and he was bragging to his wife and his family about he got to go to the feast with uh, Queen Esther and the king and no one else was invited, just him. And that he was, you know, the top officials, he was bragging and everybody was bowing down to him. And then someone suggested that he builds a gallow to hang uh, Mordecai on it. And so he was like, yes, that sounds like a great idea. And so all of that took place after the first feast. So then he built the gallows and then that happened right after the first feast. Meanwhile, that night the king went home and went, couldn't sleep. These memories came back to him. Then he decided he was going to reward the uh, reward. The king decided he was going to reward Mordecai. And then the next day, before the second feast, he summons Haman to go and get the horse, the king's robe, and everything, and put on Mordecai, take him through the town for his reward that he did not give him before for saving him, saving his life. Now, imagine, here's Mordecai who was just bragging about I mean, here's Haman that was just bragging about Mordecai wasn't invited to the feast and just went out and built some gallows to hang him on. And then he shows up and the king's like, ah, I need my best robe. I need this. Put it on Mordecai and you take him out to the town. And Haman's like, what's up with that? That should go to me. And instead, he's got to put it on Mordecai. And so now his family is saying, oh, you're surely going to fall now you're in trouble. You're going to fall to Mordecai. So then, meanwhile, he goes home right after, and then the units go and get him and say, no, we got to go to the second feast that Esther wanted us to go because the king summons him to go do that. So he goes, gets Haman, take him to the second feast, and then the second feast, and we're almost done with Esther, trust me, because Esther's a long book. <laughs> he goes and take Esther, I mean, he goes and take Haman to the second feast that Esther had prepared. And when he takes Esther to the second, I mean, not Esther, when he takes Haman to the second feast, the units, this is where he finds his d demise. Because they eat, they fellowship, they feast, and then this is where... Queen Esther began to tell, and this is where Esther chapter 7, verse 1, Greg, if you don't mind. 7, verse 1. That so, was a mouthful getting you guys to 7, trust me. Whew. So the king and Haman <laughs> went to the feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, what is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to half the kingdom it shall be fulfilled. And Queen Esther answered, 
If I found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and for my people, my request. For we have been sold, and I, my people, uh, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. And if it had been sold merely as slaves, if we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Keep going. Mm-hmm. And then King Hazarab. Yeah, that one. <laughs> said to Queen Esther, who is he that, who is he and where is he who dared to do this? And Esther said, a foe, an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. So Haman ends up in the end getting his. The plot that he had against Mordecai, he ends up getting. Now, what does this story have to do with us? Why did I take you through all of that for Esther? Because in this application, the main application from Esther to us today, because before we go, and, and Nate's going to put up the main application for us in a minute, all of that that Esther went through, sometimes we feel like because of our childhood or because things we went through, we do not or cannot do anything for God or we cannot stand or we cannot. What's the purpose? Why are we here? What is it that we, what, what are we made for? What, what is our purpose? What does God, what can God do with us? Why are we, what, what God is your plan for us? Have you ever asked God, what is your plan for me? What is my purpose? Why do you have me here? Why am I in this situation? Why? What, where, why am I in Alaska? Have you ever asked God, why, are you in, why am I in Alaska? Why am I not somewhere in a warm climate or somewhere where I can hunt, fish, or do whatever the things you want to do? Have you ever asked God those questions? Is there anybody in here ever wondered? How many of you wanted to move a thousand times, but God won't let you move? Every time you go to move, stop, you're right back here. And you're wondering, well, I'm sure Esther probably wondered, why did my parents get killed when I was young? Why is Mordecai raising me? Why am I, why am I in custody? What's going on? Why was she taught to trust God at such a young age? Why, why, why was she doing what she was doing? Why was Mordecai in her life? So my question to you is, why does God have us here at this appointed time? When things come up in our life, what do we do? How do we figure out where, what do we do, how to solve these things, how to go to God, how do we get the answers? What do we do? Do we make a decision to say, okay, God, I'm going to do it. If I perish, I perish. I'm going to stand for you. I may not like where I'm in. I may not like the situation, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to stand and do what you tell me to do. So that was a long story, Esther. Trust me, it was long for me to say it. And some of y'all look like you was going to sleep for me saying it. But here's the point. Why did I take you all the way through Esther? Because I kept saying, do I really have to read all of Esther? Go back and dive into Esther because there was things in there. There's a lot more in here. But here's the point. Main application for Esther is when people go to do you harm, don't look at the people. It's the principalities behind what's going on. They may mean some ill intent, but it's never the person. It's the principality behind it. All right? 
when they have, when somebody is, um, how do I say this? Holy Spirit, help me. When things are mounted up against you and your back is against the wall and it looks like no ways out, you got to know that you know that you know that God's got your back. You got to know that you know that no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, God's got your back. It, your timing is not God's timing. Trust me, many times I wanted my timing to be God's timing, and it was not. Sometimes you got to go through something to tell somebody else something. Does that make sense? So the main application from Esther to us today is, one, stop. Before trying to rightly handle a wrong situation, and you can find some, look at Psalms 46 and 10. Esther had to stop. Want me to read it, Psalms 46 and 10? Yes. It says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still. Second application is wait. Time is, pre- time is a precious asset which cannot be brought Esther 4, 14 through 16. 16. And if you keep silent for this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But if you, but if you and your father's house, excuse me for a second, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Sometimes God wants us to do something and we won't do it. But God always will raise somebody else up to do what we won't do. Sometimes he's saying, hey, I need you to go and we won't go. But he will send somebody else to do what he has said that will be done. And have you ever told you to do something and you didn't do it? And then he just bothered you about it. And then the next thing you look, somebody else went and did exactly what God told you to go do. And you're like, I should have did it because he told me to do that thing and I didn't do it. And then he'll let you see somebody else do exactly what he told you to do. Has that ever happened to you? He wants us to do what he tells us to do. But how do we know when God is telling us to do something? We got to have an intimate relationship with Christ. I can't go to Ryan every time and say, Ryan, do you think God told me this? If I went, or Greg, do you think God told me this? I have to know for myself my relationship with Christ. I got to know his voice. I got to get in his word. I got to start. I have to have an intimate relationship with Christ. Because guess what? Ryan, Greg, Teresa, and and Cynthia, all of them may not be around. Tammy may not be around when I'm I'm in trouble. I got to know God for myself. It may, be the midnight, it may be in the midnight hour, and I'm in trouble. Nobody's answering their cell phone. Hello, what am I going to do? So consult. Seek godly counsel. Verse 412. You've got to seek godly counsel. Esther was seeking godly counsel. She went to Mordecai. She was like, hey, he trained her. He taught her about God. She didn't just go ask anybody, hey, what's up? Can you tell me what to do? She trusted the God in Mordecai. 
She trusted God. If you notice, she went and asked Mordecai, but then she fasted and prayed. What does that tell you? She had a relationship with God for herself. Okay, she prayed. She seeked God's wisdom, verse 4, 15 through 16. She was seeking God. Hey, this woman could be put to death. Okay, every situation we're facing, guess what? Look at it as a life and death situation. You think the enemy's coming just to play patty cake? He's coming to steal, kill, and destroy. So what we take lightly, he's coming to kill us. You say, oh, that's a little dramatic. Well, is it dramatic? How many of you, your finances, he's trying to take it away, trying to give you diseases, trying to take your children, trying to take your jobs? So we have to treat everything seriously. I don't mean be overdramatic. But on the same token, I don't mean either take everything to where it's just like, oh, it'll be okay. We just have to pay attention and seek God. Three, adjust. Chapters five and six. We need to discern, we need to prepare, and we need to plan. When I say adjust, we need to know what it is. We need, to, we need to discern what's going on around us. We need to prepare. God just never tells us just to be naive and just sit there and just float through the sky, just be like Woodstock smoking something and out there just, woo, just flipping out. That ain't God. I mean, God's got a plan. You got to plan something because God, if you pray, he's going to tell you what to do. That's what I'm saying. God's going to tell you what to do. He might say, just stop, sit, and wait. But he told you what to do, right? Acts chapter 7, do exactly what the Holy Spirit tells you and move. Let's not lean to our own understanding of things. Let's really, let's start praying and asking God what to do. And let's not lean to our own understanding. Esther did this. Mordecai followed Esther's leading. I want you to understand something. Mordecai told her what to do, and then when she told Mordecai to fast and pray, he did. He understood. He did what she said, and then God's plan prevailed. Now, there's a song I was going to play, and, and I know Esther was incredibly long. Trust me, it was long for me. I keep saying that because it was, but I hope you got out the message of Esther because she went through some stuff, but she also, God protected, God also protected her through some stuff. And he also, all the way through her life, he put someone there to walk with her. He put a eunuch there to teach her and train her while she was in custody, to advise her how to show uh, to what to do for the king to gain his favor. He gave her an uncle that raised her in the way of the Lord and taught her his way, God's ways. And even the uncle still watched her at the gate. The king loved and adored her. And she was able to save God's people because God used her. So I said all that to say and took you all the way back through that to let you know that just like God had his hand on Esther, God has his hand on us. 
He has his hand on us. Esther's life was long. Ten books is long. But get this, her life ain't nearly as long as ours. Nearly as long as ours. Look back over your life and see and realize God has had his hand on you from day one. Day one. Think about all the things you've been through. And understand, God has had his hand on you. There's probably some testimonies in here right now. You don't know how you made it. You don't know how in the world you made it through some things that you went through. But the grace of God. But the grace of God. Some of you don't even know how you have food on your table at some times. Some of you don't even know how you got healed from some, some, some illnesses. But the grace of God. Some of you shouldn't even be walking around. Some of you shouldn't even be alive right now, but the grace of God. But he's had his hand on you for day one. So Esther's not special. She was chosen, but you're chosen. But you're chosen for a time as just like now. You're chosen for this time. But there's some generational things, generational things that is trying to attach themselves to us that we got to break those chains. There's some word curses. There's some things that's been spoken over you. There's some things that we have just been saying, oh, it's okay. It's all right. It'll be okay. But the Holy Spirit, the whole time I was studying Esther, I kept saying, that's a lot to read, God. People are going to be tired. I'm tired. I'm just telling, be real. That's what I said to the Holy Spirit. I'm tired. But the Holy Spirit said, there's a reason to read all that because when we get tired just hearing, when we get tired, the enemy never gets tired. He never gets tired. He is ruthless. He never gets tired knocking on your door. He never gets tired aggravating you. He never gets tired, boy, he never gets tired bringing depression on you. He never gets tired bringing illnesses on you. He never gets tired frustrating you. He never gets tired. But guess what? We can't get tired. We just can't get tired. We can't give up. And the, the thing he kept telling me the most was there's generational curses that keep trying to relapse and come back and come back and just keep attaching themselves to us. And those things are what we got to break. Because God wants to do some things in us that this city's going to see. But guess what? We can't take those baggages with us. We can't take those things with us. And we got to stop them from going to our next generations that's in our family. There's some cancer that's in my family. I refuse to let it go to my next generation. There's alcoholism in my family. I refuse to let it go to my next generation. I'm just being honest. So there's a song we're going to play, and then that song, and we're going to all pray together. And if you don't got any generational curses that's trying to attach themselves to you, you know, if you, if you don't feel like you got some Esther in you to do some battle and pray and break some chains, then sit on down, kick back, put your foot up. Seriously. 
But if you got to stand in the gap, you see, Esther stood in the gap for the Jews. That, oh, that's a whole generation. See, understand that. It wasn't just her and Mordecai. It's a whole generation of Jews. Do you know what that is? That's a whole generation. So if Esther can stand in line for a whole generation, you can't stand in, you can't, you can't break chains for your generation line? Are you getting that? I feel like I'm yelling, sorry. <laughs> sorry. I, I'm just sorry. I just, I just can't let the devil take my family out. Khalil's got a whole generation language. I mean, come on now. We got to stop some things. We got to stop some things. So, Nate, if you can play that song. Now, this song, there's some lyrics that's going to come on there. But seriously, if you, you know, we got elder wives here. There's some intercessors. We got some deacons. We got some intercessors. Intercessors in the house, seriously. Start praying. Deacons.